Amen. Thank you, John and Nancy. Appreciate that much. First Corinthians chapter 15. You join me there. First Corinthians chapter number 15. We uh, continue and hopefully bring to a close our study on this uh, series from this verse about being your steadfast, unmovable. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Uh, and uh, we've been focusing on these Sunday nights when I've been able to preach. And children, I encourage you to listen up. We have our tote of candy, have a few other things too, some bouncy balls and some other things too. So we've added not just sugar, but other fun stuff to get you in trouble with parents, okay? And uh, so you, if you answer a question correctly at the end, you come on up, and I'll be up here. If you answer a question correctly, you can pick something from the big uh, tote of goodies, okay? And uh, so listen carefully as we bring this message China to a close. We will review just a few moments here to see what we're talking about. We're looking at Paul. We understood Paul's talking about being unmovable. And uh, I think it ties well with, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, what we talked about, the work of the ministry this morning because we know the verse well. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Let's say the next word together, unmovable. And notice it, he continues, always abounding in what? In the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We've been looking at Paul as an example of being steadfast and unmovable, not allowing anything to move him. What do we mean by unmovable? Well, hopefully you remember, in case you don't, but in case those who have just joined us, this is how we defined it. Unmovable means to do the right thing in the face of anything. To continue, maintain, and consistently do the right thing in the face of anything. Every single one of us, all believers, whether you're a young Christian or an older Christian, we all face things that are thrown at us to try to stop us from doing the right thing and to stop following God. And so we're looking at this and we want to be, we strive to be, we want to have conviction to be unmovable. What are some of the things that come our way that try to give us to move? Well, first of all, Paul didn't let peers move him. People. And certainly there will be times when other people, we looked at it, friends and foes alike, that will try to get us to move from following after God, from serving him. We also understood that uh, with this, it takes a resolve. What is resolve? And so we threw these terms at us because resolve is necessary to be unmovable. Resolve is a firm and strong determination to see something done or accomplished. In other words, I can have a resolve to do the right thing in any circumstance. I want to have that resolve. And we understood uh, that not only peers can try to move us, but also persecution did not move Paul persecution. We may not face it on the same level as Paul, but reality is from family members, from folks at work, and from neighbors, and from other people, we can face persecution. We know and we study that all that will live godly will suffer persecution, the Bible tells us. We understood that. Now, we made this statement. We kind of tied some of these terms together. We said being spiritually steadfast and movable, it requires resolve and we notice this, when your resolve to do right is then tested, it produces strengthened conviction. Yeah, young person, you ought to have convictions, convictions that are rooted in the Word of God, convictions about how you'll live life. What are convictions? I, I kind of uh, tweaked it a little bit, but our definition is this. Conviction is a deeply and firmly held belief that gives direction for how we live. 
I live according to my convictions. In other words, as a Baptist, I believe that the Bible is the sole authority for faith and practice. That is the conviction. And Baptist, that would have been a good time to say amen, amen? Because <laughs> that's what we believe. And that's what the first letter in the acronym Baptist stands for. The Bible is the soul alone, the only authority to tell me how to live this life. And young person, you will never go wrong if you'll follow God's word. If you allow it to be the conviction of your life, well, you'll turn to it and say, okay, how does God want me to act in this situation? How does he want me to treat my wife or my husband? How does he want me to treat my brothers and my sisters? How does he want me to live as an employee? How does he want me to act as an employer? How does he want me to act as a grandma, as a grandpa? All through every stage of life, praise be to the Lord, the Bible has the answers. And we can form convictions from it. And so we understand it gives direction. So it's a deeply and firmly held belief that gives direction for how we live. And so we tied all these things together. We understood it. Now, all right, so there's peers and people that did not move Paul. And so you and I as Christians, we've got to make sure children, that other children who aren't doing right aren't going to influence you to not follow God. They can't move you. Adults, the same is true for us. We come to the understanding that persecution didn't move Paul. Excuse me. And so when we're tested, when, when some persecute us, uh, we've got to have the resolve and the conviction we're going to continue to do right in the face of it. Number three, I want you to see this that Paul brings up for us. It's this simple statement. Number three, not only people appear, not only persecution, but problems would not move Paul. For sake of time, we won't turn there, but you are well aware of this verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul shares with us that he has a blank in the flesh. What goes there? A thorn. Amen. Good. No one else said a wife in the flesh or something like that, okay? You didn't get in trouble. A thorn in the flesh, right? He has a thorn in the flesh. And what is he saying by that? Well, we believe it to be some kind of physical malady, a health issue, uh, uh, likely affecting his vision and uh, his seeing, his sight. What would we say that is? Well, for Paul, that thorn in the flesh was a problem. It was a real problem. You know what else that Paul uh, <laughs> alluded to in several of his epistles? He writes at times that uh, he gets frustrated and he, he really confronts people who were not listening to what he preached. They weren't reading his letters and following it, applying it. He confronts people who uh, didn't do what he instructed them to do. He gets frustrated and he, he stresses that some people were questioning his authority and his right to tell the church what to do, to counsel the church, to guide it. Some were even questioning him about taking up offerings and everything else. Can I tell you, for Paul, that was a problem. He faced problems in life. Paul, because he served God and he did right, he, he, didn't, he wasn't free of problems. No, he faced a bunch of problems. And if any of us were honest tonight, we face problems too. We face problems of all sorts and all kinds. They certainly go on for Paul. He had to deal with schisms and cliques in local churches, churches he had planted. He had to deal with Judaizers and others coming in and trying to split churches apart. Can I tell you, for any pastor, for any missionary, that's a problem. That's a problem. And so Paul had a, a huge amount of problems in his life that Satan would have loved to see move him from doing right. 
Paul had to deal with a troublesome and invasive government. He had to deal with a, a problematic religious system in the Jewish religion. And, and all those high priests, Sadducees, and Pharisees, these were all problems to Paul. Can I tell you this? And let's talk about one specifically. Paul had people problems. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Troubles where there were people. And I've always said, wherever you have people, you're going to have problems. Amen? As long as there's people and as long as we're on a sin-cursed and sin-stained earth, there's going to be problems. And Paul faced a bunch of them. There was uh, Demetrius, the silversmith, and we could go on and on and on. But let's turn to one. Let's see what he says. Second Timothy, keep your spot here, but let's look at Second Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. Let's just see one instance, one situation that, that Paul mentions a specific person who was a problem to him. A problem that, boy, Satan would have loved to use to stop Paul from following after God, from laboring for the work of the ministry. Second Timothy chapter number 4, we're going to look at uh, verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. We are immediately introduced to the, the problem person, if we might call him that. Verse 14 of chapter 4, 2 Timothy. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our word. Can I tell you, that verse gives us a great glimpse into the, the mental state, the thinking, the heart of Paul. Had Alexander hurt Paul? Yeah, he sure did. In fact, we know that his heart was hurt. Uh, Paul says he did him much evil. Paul was hurt by it. Now, we know this truth. We've come to understand it. If you're going to live with people, if you're going to work with people, your heart will likely be hurt at some time. Somebody's going to hurt. They're going to cause your problems. It's, it's going to happen if you minister in different ways. It's going to occur. So it was for Paul. And I'll take it a step farther. If you're going to serve God in any aspect of the ministry, your heart is going to be stepped on by someone. If you assume any title, any part of a ministry, leadership, whatever the case may be, if you minister in one way or the other, the fact is you're going to become uh, the person uh, in whom many people want to sink their arrows. If you desire to, uh, and strive to do right, you're going to face problems like these. But what I want you to see, young person, get this. When Paul faced problems, and in this case they were people problems, he didn't lash out at the person. He didn't try to gain vengeance. In fact, he did quite the opposite. He would give it over to the Lord, who is the avenger of his ch children. Paul was harmless as a dove and wise as a serpent. I've told you this before. The human fleshly response is this. When you and I are hurt, we want to hurt someone else. What's the statement I often say? Hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. That's the fleshly response. You're hurt. Someone has said something to you, hurt you in one way, and we want to cause problems for someone else. They've caused problems for us. But, oh, the biblical godly way or response is to forgive and fork it over to the Lord. Give it to Him. 
Let him take that problem, and it's not going to stop me from doing right. There have been people who, who stopped coming to church, who stopped ministering in a, a particular ministry of the church because they let a problem with a person prevent them from being steadfast and unmovable. My friend, it ought not so to be. It ought not so to be. That's sin that we've allowed in our life. We've stopped being steadfast and unmovable because there's a person in our life that, that maybe is a problem that has offended us and hurt us. Can I tell you, friend, if you are around people, which while you're on earth and even when you're in heaven, you're going to be around people, you've got to determine purpose, resolve to be steadfast and unmovable. Serving God. Not letting these things affect you. Look at Paul. Paul takes Alexander the coppersmith. He says, no, no, no. I'm not going to retaliate. I think he talks about resisting his words. He was trying to encourage him, bring him back. He was trying to tell Alexander, you're doing wrong. You're going down a wrong path. You need to turn back to the Lord. And he resisted the words of Paul. And it seems like he retaliated at Paul. Sometimes that happens. When you and I are trying to encourage someone to do right, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen to it. And so they will turn the opposite and become attacking. Uh, They will try to cause you problems. Paul didn't respond. He was harmless as a dove and wise as a serpent, as we said. What is neat to notice about this, and hey, children, I want you to see this, that even in this passage, Paul warns others about Alexander. He says, be careful, beware of Alexander. Why? Why does he tell uh, in this letter to Timothy and certainly to churches, why does he say, hey, be careful of Alexander. Beware of him. He didn't want him to cause hurt also. What had happened to Paul? Oh, he'd been hurt. His heart had been affected. And he didn't want that to happen to anyone else. He didn't want young Timothy to be hurt. He didn't want him to be moved from serving after God, hindered and stopped from doing what Timothy was called to do. And so he warns him. Now, let me say something about this and understand. Here was Paul. He was looking after the sheep under his leadership. Timothy was one who he was mentoring, part of the flock of the God that God had given him. Now, I want you to see that this isn't, now note it, this isn't gossip. When we read here, Paul, uh-oh, we get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh-oh, Paul is gossiping about Alexander the coppersmith. Why, oh, no, he's not gossiping. You know what this is? Listen to me. This is godly counsel from a man of God. It is a challenge from him saying, be careful, he will lead you astray. He will influence you in different ways that are not good for you. Don't follow him. Beware, be careful, be cautious around that man, around that person. Not a good influence in your life. Now listen to me, young person, listen to me carefully. Teenager, listen to me. There will be people and authorities in your life that warn you to stay away from certain people and certain influences that is not gossip, that is godly people giving you godly counsel. They are challenging you to stay faithful. They know that under this influence and the impact of this person, they can have a negative effect on you. Let me say something else very clearly too, especially to our children here. Hey, little ones. Your God in heaven has been especially good to you. He has given you godly moms and dads to give you wise counsel. So little ones, let me ask you this, and let me tell you this, actually. You need to listen to mom and dad. 
You need to hear what they say. Their counsel, you need to hear what they say, especially when they share with you God's word. And if they tell you to stay away from something, the best thing you can do is stay away from it. If they tell you, hey, that's not good. That person over there is is not going to be a good influence in your life. They don't love God. They're not following after God. Don't go near them. Hey, young person, listen to me. Listen to mom and dad. Follow and heed their counsel. Now, I want to tell you something. Right now, today, parental authority is under attack. Our culture, Satan in this world, wants to erode and take away parents, your authority. And young person, they want to convince you that mom and dad are old fuddy-duddies, that they don't know what they're talking about, and you shouldn't listen to them. I'll tell you, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. God has given you parents so they they can bring you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They can tell you what the Bible says and how you ought to follow God. So listen to them. Hey, young ones, listen to mom and dad. Pay attention to them. Listen to what they say. If they say stay away, stay away. If they say don't hang out with that person, don't hang out with that person. Listen to their counsel. God in heaven loves you so much that he has given you parents to help guide you and direct you. To help you order your steps in a way that is pleasing to him. Be thankful for your parents and listen to them. Let me also say this. Let me take it a step further. Can I tell you, young people, that God has given you in your lives pastors and their wives to be of good counsel to you. Whether it's a senior pastor, an assistant pastor, pastor emeritus, even missionaries, whatever the case may be, God has blessed you and me as Christians with people who we can listen to counsel. Can I tell you, I am a pastor, but I still see my dad as my pastor. I'll call him up and I'll listen and get advice from him. I'll ask him things. If he corrects me, boy, I listen. Not just because he's my dad, but because he's my pastor. That's never stopped, even though I am a pastor. Boy, I sure am thankful that God has seen fit to give us pastors and others an authority so that we can hear, we can listen to them, we can seek their counsel, we can glean wisdom and discretion and hear the warnings. I would encourage you this, that this pastor and every other pastor you will ever have, Lord willing, will always have your best spiritual interest in mind. Be weary Be wary of a pastor who tells you what you want to hear. Be thankful for a pastor who tells you the counsel of God. So be careful. Hey, little ones, listen to me. As you grow up, and maybe you move out of mom and dad's house and you grow up, you find a good church where there's a pastor who will give you good counsel, who will listen, and you listen to him, and you follow what he says. Because I'll tell you, even now, in today's culture, just like parental authority is under attack, so is pastoral authority. The authority of the local church and the pastor is under attack. It is one of the greatest assets that you and I have been giving. And you and I need to be challenged to willingly put ourselves under that authority and to listen to the pastor that God puts in our life. Can I tell you, my friend, it is crucial. Hey, little ones, children, hey, teenagers, it's important. 
listen to your parents and listen to the pastors that God puts in your life. As they teach you God's word, as they give you wisdom and direction, follow it. But Paul not only gives us a good example of that, when he speaks to Timothy and he speaks to the church, says, watch out for Alexander. Not only does he give us a great example of that truth, but I love this fact. You know what Paul does? He exemplifies taking all his problems to God and notice it. He resists the urge to let them discourage him in living for God dampen his zeal for following God or derail his service for the kingdom of God. So problems in our lives, Satan wants them, and sometimes people who originate them and other types of problems are in our lives to derail us, to dampen our zeal, and honestly, uh, to stop us from serving God. But Paul wasn't going to let that happen. He resisted the urge. Now, every single one of us know this, and children, you need to be aware of it. Um, Problems will come. God told us that in this life, as his children, as we try to live godly, we're going to face problems. He calls them trials and tests. And you have to decide at a young age that no matter what problems come up and show their ugly face, you will still do right. You'll still serve God. You will not be able to determine, adults, we know this, Hey, young people, you won't be able to determine what problems come up in your life, but you can determine your response. Will you be unmovable or will you waver under the influence and pressure of of, uh, problems? Now, let me give you an example. Young people, listen up this way. Okay, let's start out with our uh, our young people. How many of you young people have a job at home? You have a chore, you have responsibilities. It's cleaning the room, it's taking out the garbage, it's feeding the dog, it's being quiet when mom's trying to sleep. Any of those jobs, okay? So raise your hand if you have a job at home, okay? Excellent, fantastic. Many of our young people do. How many of you dads have a job at home? Amen, dads? Okay, good, many of us, okay. So we have jobs, there's things we do. Now listen, young people, I don't know about you, but it isn't always fun to carry out the trash. It isn't always fun to clean your room. It isn't always fun to do the jobs that mom and dad has given us, but you have a responsibility to do it. And the Bible says, children, starts with an O and ends with bay. What is it? Obey, man, it's sharp. You guys are sharp. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, right? Children, obey. Now listen, if you're given a job by mom and dad, you ought to obey mom and dad. You ought to do your job. Now let's say this for a sake of illustration. Let's say that there's a young man in a home. He has the responsibility of taking the garbage out. In other words, his job is to gather all the garbage in the house and take it to the garbage can outside the house or in the garage or wherever it may be. Now, immediately, that young person said, okay, here's my job. Here's my responsibility to do it, and I I guess I'll I'll do it. I I needed to do it because it's right to obey mom and dad. He starts, and and mom starts telling him, okay, you need to get the garbage that's down in the basement. You need to get the garbage that's in that bathroom, the garbage in that bathroom. Oh, don't forget the garbage in the kitchen. And and by the way, there's some garbage in your your sister's room, a ton of it, so make sure you get that. And and, uh, you got to get And all of a sudden, what happens? A young person, you know what I'm saying? That's a whole lot of garbage. I'm too young for this. I'm only seven. I can't handle all that garbage. You know what you've just been confronted with? Now listen to me. A problem has come up. In your mind, in your heart, and maybe it's even Satan who says, ah, you you can't handle all that. You can't do all that. You know what that is? That's a problem. And in that moment, you're going to decide, wait a second, I'm going to be steadfast and unmovable in obeying mom and dad, or you know what's going to happen? you're going to let a problem stop you. 
you're going to let a problem get in your way from doing right, from obeying mom and dad. Let's say the same young person. He says, he starts to do it. He says, no, I'm going to finish this. And he starts collecting the trash. And then he gets into his sister's bedroom. And this trash is three times his size. It's bigger than he is. I mean, it's three times his size. And it's heavy. And he goes to grab it. And it's much heavier than he ever expected. You know what you're going to be tempted to do? A problem is going to be tempting you to stop. Not to be steadfast and unmovable. Instead of coming up with an a, 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 a answer to the problem, a solution to the problem, the problem's going to stop you dead in your tracks. It's going to prevent you. It's going to keep you from doing what you ought to do, obeying mom and dad. Now listen to me, young person. Do you realize that at seven years of age, nine years of age, 15 years of age, God values your obedience to mom and dad as much as he values an adult doing what God has called them to do? He values it just as much. At your four, your five, your seven, your nine, your ten, your fifteen, God values your obedience to mom and dad. And you know what He might be preparing you for? You know what? Some of you might grow up, and if if some of us have our prayers answered, some of you might grow up to be a missionary. Brother Phil Smith and other missionaries that we support, they could tell you there's a whole bunch of problems that come up on the mission field. You face it all the time. Problem after problem after problem. And you know what Satan wants every missionary to do? Quit. Quit. Just stop. Stop serving God. Stop being steadfast and unmovable. You know what's training you for being a missionary that doesn't give up, that is steadfast, unmovable? The trash you take out at seven years old. Oh, Pastor Henry, you're connecting dots that aren't connected. No, what I'm connecting is God training each and every one of us for what he wants us to do. He's training us. Young person, if you will learn from an early age, obey mom and dad, don't let anything stop you, be steadfast, unmovable in obeying your parents, following God and doing so. When you get older, whether it be a missionary, a pastor, or a Sunday school teacher, There's no telling what you're going to be able to do for God. Because you're going to have already learned to be steadfast and unmovable. Now listen, little ones, everybody you know faces problems. This pastor and every pastor you know faces problems. Your Sunday school teachers, they face problems. Your mommies and daddies face problems all the time. But what we do and what they do is remind ourselves of this simple truth. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can be steadfast, unmovable. Yes, are problems going to come? You better believe it. They're coming. Problems are going to try to stop you, slow you down, prevent you from being steadfast and unmovable. But what does a faithful Christian do? What, is Paul, what did Paul do? Notice it. This is what your parents do too. We hang on to our conviction. That's a deeply and firmly held belief that gives direction to how we live. Then we allow our resolve to grow. And then in doing so, it enables us to remain steadfast and unmovable. So you know what? 
Next time you do a job at home, next time mom or dad asks you to take out the trash or they ask you to clean your room or something, you understand that you're not just doing the job that mom and dad ask you to do, but in reality, you're training to serve God and being steadfast, unmovable for the rest of your life. You're starting some character. You're understanding what you need to do and how you need to be to serve God with the rest of your life. You know, my prayer, young person, teenager, my prayer for you, with all my heart, I want you to grow up to be that type of Christian, those kind of missionaries, those kind of Sunday school teachers, those kind of mommies and daddies yourselves, ones that hang on to their conviction. They grow their resolve on a continual basis, and they remain steadfast and unmovable to what God called them. What do we summarize it as? This is Paul. Paul was not a pushover for problems. He wasn't a pushover for peers or people. He wasn't a pushover for persecution, and he isn't a pushover for problems. Real quick, let me show you the last two things. We may not get through them, but I'm going to give them to you so we can bring it to a close, okay? Number four, notice it. Paul would not allow powers to move him. Powers, earthly powers is what we mean here in partial. See, Paul stood before the greatest human powers on earth at that time. From the high priest to Felix the governor in Acts chapter 24 to, to Festus in Acts chapter 25, even to the point of standing before Caesar. And don't miss it. Hey, uh, Christian, understand this. Not only did he not allow the powers to move him, what did he do? Paul exploited the powers. He used them uh, to carry him on his journey. See, Festus and Felix, he used them to get to go to Rome and to get to stand before Caesar. He used the ability to stand or the opportunity to stand before Caesar. What happened in Caesar's household? Some of them were saved. Here is Paul and these powers that he stands before, like standing before the President of the United States of America, standing before the Governor of Michigan. It didn't move him when they questioned him about following Jesus Christ. No, he was steadfast and unmovable, and he, all, and he also turned it to his own advantage. I like that about Paul. He didn't falter. He didn't melt away as he stood before these powerful human powers. I want you to know especially our adults, I want you to know that we are coming. You know it. We are coming increasingly closer to the day in America where the powers that be will not be favorable to the Bible and those that follow Jesus Christ. There may have been a small reprieve and some recent Supreme Court decisions and things like that, but I'll tell you, my friend, we might very well see the day if Jesus Christ tarries that we are persecuted in our own country for believing the Bible for gathering together to worship, for following the Bible, and be challenged to renounce our faith in Jesus Christ. The day may come with one of these young people, one of these children that God has blessed FBC with. They may grow up to be a missionary in a Muslim country. And the day may come where they are pushed in such a way by the powers in that country to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray to God that every single one of us, if we face that, would be steadfast, unmovable. It starts today. It starts with resolve and conviction that I'm not going to allow powers that be to sway me. 
We must not faint, face, excuse me, faint in the face of any human power that troubles us in following Jesus Christ. You know what the members of the early church taught us? What they taught us was this: when human powers and God conflict, we're to follow God every time. When they are in conflict, when those two things go against each other then we are to follow God in every situation. It's better to please God than man is what they said. And yet there's more power that we must resist, that we must not let move us. We are told that our arch enemy, Satan, has power in this world. And be assured, his is a power that must be reckoned with while we are in these sin-stained bodies on this sin-stained earth. Many a Christian has been attacked by Satan. I look out after our own church, and I'll tell you, my friend, I know. I look at the, the boards in the back with all these missionaries, and I can tell you, I believe with all of my heart that there are people in this auditorium, there are missionaries represented on those back boards there that have been attacked by Satan because they're serving God. Whether it be health, whether it be problems, uh, you name it. It can be in a, a, a great array of things. It could be vehicle problems. It can be all types of issues and things that Satan brings and, and does in our lives. Car accidents uh, through the influence of actions and words of other people. Things breaking, malfunctioning, whatever the case may be. Satan comes after us. We said at the beginning of this series, it's like king of the mountain. If you and I are following God, we're standing on top of the mountain... Uh, for me, as I gave the illustration as a young child, it was a, that mountain of mulch that me and my friends would stand on top of and try to push each other. If you're going to follow God, you can be assured that Satan's going to try to knock you off that mountain. He's going to try to push and shove and get you off from doing what is right and following God. In fact, it was Paul in that verse that we referenced about his thorn in the flesh. You remember what it said? He said that that thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan who was sent to literally buffet him, to punch him, to bruise him, to beat him up. Honestly, the final outcome was to stop serving God. Certainly that he wouldn't be prideful, but the reality was you better believe Satan wanted to stop Paul from doing what is right. Hey, children, I want you to understand, I don't want you to be scared of Satan, but this is what I do want you to know. Satan doesn't want you doing right. Satan doesn't want you obeying your parents. And even at your young ages, he's going to try to stop you from listening to mom and dad and obeying them. He's going to try to stop you from memorizing God's word and and living it out, listening to your Sunday school teachers and and doing exactly what God's word says. Satan's going to try to stop you as much as he tries to stop this pastor. As much as he tries to stop every adult gathered here tonight, every believer, we can be assured and we can be certain that he'll use anything in his arsenal so that you and I would be a pushover, not be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I want you to see and understand that every single Christian who's trying to labor for the Lord, who's trying to do right. Satan's pushing on you. He's leaning on you. He's trying with all of his effort and energy to stop you from being steadfast and unmovable. I bet there's at least one adult here tonight that Satan is using something or someone, somebody in your life to tell you to throw in the towel, to slow you down, 
This issue and this problem or, or this person and, and this family member or, or this neighbor, or this coworker, he's trying to use somebody to stop you. This per- person at work is all over you. They're teasing you and they're, they're bullying you and they're giving you a hard time. And Satan's trying to use it to get you to be quiet about Jesus Christ at work. Oh, there's others out there. There's people in your family. You may be the only Christian. You may be one of few in your family who know Jesus Christ, and you try to share that with the family. You're trying to shine it as bright as you can. But I'll tell you, what that means is you have a bullseye on your back from Satan. So even in your family, he'll use family members to try to get at you and get under your skin, to, to try to quiet you and silence you, to try to dim your light, to put it under a bushel basket, right? That's what Satan wants. Whether it be coworkers or family members, or you know what Satan sometimes does? You have it, you leave Sunday and, and you're excited. We heard this morning about the work of the ministry, and you've purposed in your heart, I'm going to work tomorrow morning and I'm going to hand out some tracks. When I stop at the gas station, I'm going to hand out some tracks. You know what Satan sometimes does? You wake up in the morning, Satan has crawled in your vehicle, and you get out there. That blasted car won't start. And all of a sudden, Satan throws something at you to what? Derail you. To stop you. Now, I'll tell you, my friend, in that moment, you and I choose. Will we be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? Or you and I are going to let something move us? And Satan is a power in this world that no matter your age, he's going to try to stop us from doing right. He's going to try to prevent us from being steadfast and unmovable. Last but not least, and I'll barely mention it, you know what else would move Paul? And I think this is primarily for us as adults, but here's a, here's a simple truth is this. Not only persecution and people or peers, not only problems, not only here as we've talked about the powers that be, but lastly, you know what else didn't move him? Uh, was simply this, the price the price. In John chapter 6 and verses 66 through 68, uh, Christ has talked about what it's going to cost to follow him. He has talked about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And the verses there say this, after this, many of his disciples didn't follow anymore. Many of his followers counted the price, and this wasn't going to be worth it. What I've gone through at work, what I've gone through in the family, the, the, the things that I have put up in the ministry at church that I'm in charge of, it's just not worth it. They counted the price. Can I tell you, here's Paul. We read that list a few Sundays ago. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been left for dead. All these things, Paul counted the price, and he said, I'll be steadfast and movable. Boy, I sure am thankful for missionaries that count the price. And just say, I'm going to be steadfast and movable. I'm thankful for Sunday school teachers that count the price. And, and they are faithful and are steadfast and movable. I'm thankful for Brother Elmer Smith and Brother Thatcher and Brother Jameson and those who helped God use them to start Fostoria Baptist Church. And I guarantee you there were some problems in the early days of Fostoria Baptist Church, but they were steadfast and movable. My friend, I am thankful for every single one of you that are steadfast, unmovable. But sometimes the price in our minds gets a little high and we start to waver. Our resolve and our commitment and our conviction wavers. Could I encourage you tonight that you and I are called to be steadfast, unmovable? Now, I think there's a great truth. We turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think there's a great question here that we need to ask ourselves and we'll be done with as we do. 
What's stopping you and I from being steadfast and movable? Are you really unmovable tonight, Christian? Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? Because look at the verse, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He's giving us reason and impetus for saying, hey, your labor's not in vain. Be steadfast. Now notice it. Now listen to me very carefully. You say, Pastor Henry, how do I know if I am being steadfast, unmovable? Well, here's a simple test. If your service, your ministry, your work, for the Lord has slipped or is non-existent. In other words, you can't really point to a place that you're really serving God, that you're doing things for Him. You're in the work of the Lord. If that's the case, you can be assured that you haven't been steadfast and you haven't been unmovable. Something got to you. In a church this size, you better believe that someone here has allowed people or peers to move them. Some not-so-good influences so people who maybe are treating a foe or even a friend has gotten to them, and it's caused them to become lukewarm and following after God. It's caused them to back away from a ministry, to stop serving God in a way, maybe just simply handing out tracts. Somebody has gotten to them. Maybe it's persecution. Again, here in an assembly this large, there may be somebody who you have a coworker, you have a neighbor, you have a family member that through persecution has quieted you. You're no longer steadfast and unmovable in serving God and serving His kingdom, propelling it. You know, there might be someone here that, let's be honest, the powers that be have impacted you. May an employer has tried to put a scare in you from reading your Bible and, and uh, doing things and telling other people about Jesus Christ, inviting folks to, to church. Maybe there's some problems. Maybe some things have come up in your life, and, and maybe they're from Satan himself, but there's problems that have just become so burdensome and so overwhelming that you said, oh, I just got to pull back from the ministry. I, I can't be thinking about how to serve God. I can't be thinking about that ministry. And can I tell you, my friend, Satan thinks that he is one. Because he stopped you from being steadfast, unmovable. How is it for you tonight? Could you say, yeah, you know, today, right now, God as my witness. Heaven's account would say that I am steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, I'll tell you, my friend, for those of us who do a pretty good job most of the time, you know what the words that are most convicting in that verse Always abounding in the work of the Lord. I sure don't know about you, but sometimes Stephen Henry gets in the way of Stephen Henry serving God. That's the person that causes me not to be as steadfast and unmovable as I ought to be. So let me ask you tonight, are you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? And children, could I encourage you, from a young age, purpose in your heart to be steadfast, unmovable in doing what is right. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this tremendous verse and encouragement and challenge for us. We thank you for the example of Paul. And Lord, we have a heart's desire to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in your word. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us tonight, each of these adults that have gathered here together. I pray that we would be very much introspective and, Lord, evaluating our lives. Are we steadfast and unmovable? Have we pulled away? Have we let one of these things get in the way and stop us from doing your will? 
from following you, from doing right in a certain situation, from obeying. Lord, I pray that you would smite our hearts if that is the case. I pray that you would convict us and show us in where we have stopped being steadfast and unmovable. And Lord, I pray we get back to always abounding in your work. Help us to be encouraged that our labor is not in vain. Father, I pray for the young people here. May they understand the need for them to build the character, to grow the character in their own lives of being unmovable and following you and doing right and obeying their parents and following your word. Father, I pray that our young children would grow up to be Christians who are steadfast and unmovable. Father, I pray that you'd continue to speak to our hearts. Your Holy Spirit would put his finger on things in our lives in which we need to grow and do better at. And Father, in this invitation to follow, I pray we do business with you. I pray we take some time to talk with you in prayer, that we uh, share some things, open our hearts before you, confess some things. And I pray that we'd ask for grace and strength to be steadfast, unmovable. Father, help us to go from this place ready to serve you this week, ready to be unmovable in our service and our living for you. Help us now. Empower us to do what you've called us to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you to join.